0: Welcome, dendrophiles. My name is Tonya Clark from the Birmingham Tree People, and today I'm talking to Jim Smith, National Urban Forestry Advisor for the Forestry Commission. The Forestry Commission was set up in 1919 to provide timber after World War I. They planted two million acres of forest. Now the remit's been broadened to cover research, recreation, and biodiversity. Hi, Jim. When did the Forestry Commission become interested in urban trees and why?
1: Well, um, really, the Forestry Commission has been interested for quite a while now in in the urban context and urban trees. And I suppose the first time we got heavily involved was um, when the community forests were set up in the the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And we were involved with laying them out, helping lay, lay them out, and we've been funding them over the years on and off in terms of helping with land purchases, that sort of thing. The ones I'm thinking of really are the ones, the sites like the Mersey Forest, Thames Chase uh, in northeast London, those sorts of areas. So the FC's been involved for, for quite some time, and obviously now we've got the Northern Forest as well, which is um, burgeoning at the moment, and there's quite a big effort going into that to make sure that that's um, a, a great success for the future.
0: So why did the Forestry Commission want to set up community forests?
1: It wasn't the Forest Commission, it was government policy then. So we, as a government department, we're a non-ministerial government department. We actually follow government policy. and We're part of the DEFRA, the Forest Commission is part of the DEFRA family, and we kind of implement it. We're the uh, the people who implement that government policy.
0: And so the government had decided, was that to meet kind of canopy coverage targets?
1: Uh, in terms of the community forest, it was just to get better engagement for people in, t- in towns and cities, so that um, and a lot of those community forests were located at the edges of large urban conurbations, places like, as I've mentioned, Liverpool, Manchester, the North East, and also around London as well. Quite a few of them there now, so.
0: And do you think it's worked? Do you think it did help engage people from the cities?
1: Uh, Absolutely, yes, because um, they've been, uh, you know, initially there was some, and there always is when you're moving into an area and, and converting what would have been either derelict land or underused farmland into into woodland uh, there's usually uh, has been some resistance And the example i would use is um, Jeskins farm in northeast london where there was some local resistance to that because they people didn't understand what the objectives were but once you get into the community and start engaging with them and telling them what you're after doing then they realize the idea is to provide a really important resource for people who are who don't have that nearby where they live, they can. If it's particularly if it's within walking distance, or a short, a short vehicle ride or a bus ride, they can get out and really enjoy the the countryside. And that's why they're located on the edges of towns.
0: And are there plans for more community forests?
1: Well, the Northern Forest is the latest iteration of that. Yes, it's something that's um, been funded by government. In the longer term, I think. Don't want to speak out of turn here, but there are some some moves ahead for. A greater investment in, in the northern forest. I think the one thing that, that, that's possibly going to be an issue with that would be the the current situation with COVID nineteen and the, the expense that the government now have to deal with and that's obviously going to be that everyone will have to look really closely at what they were planning to do for the future. But the current government certainly heavily committed to community forest. yes.
0: Last year, that was two thousand and nineteen there was a lot of talk at the election wasn't there about planting trees. So has that helped have, have you has your budget been increased because of that? Well, it certainly it certainly seemed to be
1: every time you turn the page of the newspaper there was a, another target wasn't there in terms of manifesto commitments but there are a number of significant manifesto commitments currently now that the government is putting in place delivery mechanisms for. So I wouldn't say budgets have been increased but funding has been made available for the urban tree challenge fund for additional planting in and around towns and cities uh, we've got the northern forest is being funded as well and um, so it's in terms of um shall we say comparing this with say a few years ago it really does look like uh, urban trees have moved up the, uh, the national agenda and funding has been uh, identified to assist with that with tree planting and also we shouldn't forget tree management in terms of in the context of community forest you have to keep them going you have to look look after them and make sure that they they're managed well as you do with urban trees generally speaking
0: because obviously there's lots of stakeholders involved and you mentioned that there's been contentious tree plantings previously um is there a need for more legislation or, or do you feel that the local authorities and private landlords have got on board
1: Yes, yeah, an interesting question that I, I i don't think um i don't think there's a need for legislation in the context of getting people to plant trees because that's um, something that um, local authorities will do and have done. They do very well. You know, in di- days gone by, there was they used to be accused of planting lots of trees that would die. You know, you'd see trees by the roadside that hadn't been looked after. But most local authorities now and most tree planting now is very well cared for and it succeeds and is, establishes well. So at the minute, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that um, there's a need for new legislation in that regard but um, there is certainly a need to keep up not the pressure but keep up the momentum so that we we don't fall into a deficit of removing more trees than we're planting.
0: I absolutely Uh, agree and I, I understood that in some of the big tree planting schemes the targets look fantastic you know three four million trees but actually that's barely at replacement numbers because of you know a lot of Victorian cities a lot of their trees are getting old now and would need to be taken out anyway uh, well, well well exactly uh,
1: it, it's the it's really the case that what you need to do in, in the context of of maintaining an urban forest of healthy viable and resilient urban forest you need to have um, a structured age range across there so you definitely need young trees you need your mid-aged trees uh, and older trees and mature trees as well but What's something that people frequently forget is that trees do have a finite lifespan and in the in the urban context where they eventually they can become problematic if they've got structural problems or, or decay and they become infected with um, diseases that cause uh, structural damage to their root systems or their branch structures or the trunk even, um, they do have to be removed and replaced and that's something that I think my colleagues in local authorities tree officers are, are constantly trying to, to um, inform people and educate people that the way to to maintain an urban forest is is to um, periodically manage that uh, stock uh, so that you have the continuity of stock rather than. know hundreds of trees all of the same age range or indeed all of the same species too the idea that we promote is using the um, something called the urban foresters rule so that you have no more than 10 percent of the same species no more than 20 percent of the same genus and no more than 30 percent of the same family across the whole geographical area but within that within that species mix you also have a, a very varied age range and it's just Tree populations are no different from human populations in that regard. You need to have a full age range to have a healthy population.
0: In Birmingham, we're looking to set up a urban forest board. I think there's several of them across the UK. Is this good practice that you've seen in other places or are there other things that we should be doing here?
1: I haven't heard them called um, urban forest boards lately, but there are uh, equivalent organisations within in Manchester. City of Trees have the Greater Manchester partnership um, tree and woodland strategy partnership in london they've got the london uh, uh, tree partnership so there are other organizations which i i would say it's very good practice because what you want is to get all the groups all the ngos and government um, and local authorities together working together to common goals and objectives and the way to do that is to have a, a meeting uh, you asked me one of my early, the early questions was how when the, when did the forest commission become involved in the in the urban context my first recollection of that was the the, um, a representative, a chap called Ron Melville, coming from um, Forest Commission, to join the London Tree Forum, which was, you know, an equivalent to, to your Birmingham Board. So, getting those groups together, those partnerships together, so that everyone works to a common goal, um, is essential, I think, um, because you need to treat the urban forest as, as a single unit. It's not uh, the reason that in the past it hasn't been too well cared for or looked after as it gets fragmented in managerial terms and also policy terms too and those boards or those partnerships can really um, make a difference in getting all the all the various people who are responsible for the urban forest uh, working together
0: has the forestry commission worked with tree warden schemes before
1: we've worked closely with groups like um, the tree council trees for cities and others to assist with tree warden schemes and they they are very those volunteers are a critical part of delivering a better quality of urban forest into, into the future because it connects the people who the people who do the work uh, and manage those that tree stock that urban forest with the people whose urban forest it is, the local communities and local public.
0: Yes, it's a good part of engaging people isn't it it's uh, people are more likely to look after an area if they've been involved in establishing it I guess.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then they get a a shared sense of ownership. Uh, When I first started working for local authorities, which was, um, I'm ashamed to say, was in the the varieties, it was really people saw the stuff that the councils looked after as being someone else's. And I think the the culture shift you need to uh, engender and inculcate is that actually this is your urban forest and we're doing it for you to look after it, so for your future and your children's future. And that that culture shift um, creates quite a strong synergy with people um, caring about that resource more than perhaps they did, you know, three decades ago.
0: I understand there's going to be a Midlands Forest, or there's. I think this is it. Heart of England and joining yes, various bits. That. Yeah. Yeah. So has the Forestry Commission been involved in that?
1: Well, I, I don't know if we've been involved with it specifically, but um, certainly our local area teams would be um, willing to help where we can, and. I think what we do is provide expertise when it's required, and that's the you know that's our sort of um, our role in that regard.
0: One of the things that we're looking at is maybe tree wardens identifying areas for for tree planting as part of the Midlands forest and really trying to get people on the ground to like you say be very engaged and be active participants.
1: Yeah, I mean the tree wardens will they'll be the people who know their local areas best and they will know they might even know the landowner well. And be able to persuade the landowner um, that this is, this would be a good thing to do. one of the challenges of setting up new community forests is persuading the landowner that it's worthwhile doing um, and there are lots of tensions there so many particularly farmers are a little bit reticent to allow if you if you 're um, converting um underused farmland into um, into woodland for instance and that brings with it public access. That's a concern for some farmers. And I think tree wardens and local authority tree officers have a really important role there to educate, uh, not just uh, the people whose land it is that this could be a really positive benefit to you, um, but also to to make sure that those people who do use those woodlands and, and access that land do it in a responsible way and uh, so it benefits everybody.
0: Do you think there'll be changes in the Common Agricultural Policy with the whole kind of Brexit stuff that will maybe make it worthwhile for farmers to to plant more trees? Uh,
1: well, that's that's way above my, my pay grade. Um, the CAP is being replaced by um, something called ELMS, which is Environmental Land Management, uh, and that's been, there's a consultation on that at the moment. But I think I think. And that's really changing, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, the CAP was all about subsidising farmers for producing stuff, um, whereas the environmental land management is about ensuring that farmers receive funding where they do the right thing by the environment on their land. So that's an important, a really important step forward, I think, and something that's going to be, you know, in 20 years' time, we'll, we will recognise as being a, um, an important shift away from subsidising farmers for producing food to funding farmers to produce better outcomes for the environment on their land.
0: It'll be interesting to see how the ELM impacts on the growth of community forests. I understand that forest research is also part of the Forestry Commission and the tree wardens have been happily plugging away at the latest piece of citizen science produced by the forest research team. Um, And it's all about canopy coverage. The lead person, I believe, is Dr. Kieran Doik.
1: Kieran reports to our Urban Forest and Advisory Committee network. Uh, So we've been heavily involved with that. Uh, That's a really important piece of work and something that's going to set the tone for the future in terms of how local authorities should we say man, not just manage their their urban forests, but how they grow them uh, and improve them so that canopy cover is increased? So, something that, that I always I'm always keen to let people know is that if, if you go to any city, the the nicest parts of the city are the ones with the most canopy cover, generally speaking, uh, and that's where the you know where you really get a sense of being in a really attractive place to live, and that's something that people love and, and want. Uh, go to other parts of uh, our urban centers where there are no trees and they're, they're a bit diminished as a consequence of that. so I think what we need to do and what the, the work that uh, forest research and Kieran have been working on is being able to target understand what's there and then being able to target your your resources if there if you have uh, you know some spare resources or, or indeed policy um, makes resources available um, you can target it so that they're improving uh, those areas that need it most.
0: When you look at Birmingham, it's really striking that when you do an overlay of um, tree canopy coverage and um, disadvantage, it really shows up that the areas without the trees are the areas that are most deprived. That's a common theme across
1: the whole country. Um, When I was working in London, we we had um, the London Tree and Wooden Grant Scheme, and that was targeted, the first mayor's street tree, street tree programme was targeted at areas with high indices of multiple deprivation. And those trees were really well received by local communities. And it's something I think that we, we, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of that, that that's, they can make a really, really big difference um, to those areas.
0: Yeah, I think they can. And I think one of the things that's come out of the lockdown is just how much people need to see nature and greenery to help their mental health.
1: Oh, hugely, yes, hugely. I mean, I take I take my kids around our local woods every week. Um, I was doing it regularly anyway, but uh, it's become more important now because if you're not allowed out of the house, when you do go out of the house, you want to go somewhere nice, don't you? So.
0: Yes, you really do. Jim, thank you so much for spending the time to talk to me today. Um, The Forestry Commission is doing some excellent work and I'm really hopeful that tree wardens can get involved in helping with the Midlands Forest and that they'll also be helping with the forest research citizen science. Thank you. And now a short piece about the beech tree. The tree I'm in love with today is the beech tree. Picture yourself in a beech wood in autumn the golden amber leaves on the branches of the trees and even more lying on the ground beneath your feet. The quality of light in a beechwood is magical in autumn but also in spring when it shines through the dense canopy of the fresh green leaves. Beech is in the same family as the oak Fagaceae, and the common beech is Fagus sylvatica. There are ten species of beech in the northern hemisphere and there are more in the southern hemisphere. You may know the copper or purple beech Fagus purpurea, which has dark purple leaves due to the xanthocyanins in its leaves. A typical beech tree can live for 400 years and grow to 40 metres tall. It has a domed shape with a dense canopy of leaves. Its bark is grey and is smooth because it's thin and flexible and so it stretches as the tree grows. Beech grows quickly and outcompetes other trees in woodlands. Beech also makes a good hedge, as when it is clipped to shape, it tends to keep its leaves over the winter. The largest hedge on earth is a third of a mile long in Mickalure in Perthshire. It is made of beech, planted in 1745. The leaves start as dull brown, pointed buds, alternating on twigs. In spring, they become more red and glossy and then burst and the leaves unfurl. The new leaves have tiny hairs all along their edges to protect them from moisture and frosts. The hairs drop off as the leaves grow. In autumn, the leaves drop to the ground where they take a long time to decompose. The leaves are high in potash and make really good hummus so the soil becomes rich and very fertile. The beech has male catkins and small flowers and is wind pollinated. The seeds of the beech are called beech mast. Within each four-valved husk are two to three nutlets. The husks are prickly on the outside and lined with smooth, silky hairs on the inside. The beech nuts are edible. In fact, they contain 17 to 20% oil and can be used as cooking oil. They can also be ground down to make flour. The nuts are eaten by jays, badgers, deer, squirrels and mice. Beech wood is fine-grained and not free and is used to make furniture. The wood also keeps well submerged in water and it was used to make ship's keels. It's a good firewood too, and has been used to smoke herrings, cheese and ham. Shavings of wood have been used as finings in wine and in lager production to help the yeast circulate. Centuries ago, slates of beech wood were used for writing across Europe, and the name beech comes from the early English "bok," meaning book. In Swedish, "bok" means both book and beech tree. The beech is often known as the mother of the forest, maybe because of the rich, fertile soil that its leaves produce when they decompose.